Good morning. Did you guys have a great fourth? Did you get sunburned, eat too many hot dogs? What'd y'all do? Watch fireworks? I watched a fireworks show the other night. Man, it was there's some people downtown watching fireworks. Whew. You throw out a free fireworks show, people come from all over the place. <clears throat> well, welcome this morning. Welcome to our guests and folks who are in town visiting with family and relatives. Thank you for setting some time apart this morning to be with us as we study God's Word together. You are landing, if you're coming this morning, you're not used to being with us, you're, you're landing in the middle of a couple of messages that uh, I just decided to place in the summer months. Summer gives a good change of pace sometimes, and uh, I've called them hot topics. So they really, um, in some ways, they're, they're not exactly the topics of my choice as much as they're the topics that are being forced on us by the culture in which we live, the times in which we live. And what we started this series off talking about was that God often in Scripture, often in Scripture, and it's important that you notice that he's doing this because otherwise you'll miss part of what he's saying. God often in the Scriptures finds his people wherever they are and he, he sort of puts his foot in their world and he speaks to them about where they are. So the the source of what God is saying is coming from their moment, their experience, the the land in which they've lived, the attitude that's among them. And so these hot topics represent a little bit of a prophetic element in which God steps into our world and he speaks to us about his perspective on our world and on issues that we're facing. Now this morning, uh, this hot topic this morning is going to be on gender and homosexuality. So this is probably the hottest of hot topics that's in the land in which we live right now. And it needs to be spoken to. But but on the one hand, I feel like there's a little bit of a precarious uh, challenge to this assignment in this topic. You know, I start to say it's precarious for me, but quite honestly, can I tell you it's precarious for you? You have the precarious challenge of listening to this topic this morning. And being able to walk from here with equal portions of conviction and care in your soul. And not one at the expense of the other. Not convictions. I've got convictions about this topic. I feel strongly about this topic. But care is nowhere to be found in how you relate to people that are being touched by this topic. But then on the other hand, you're not just called to have care for this topic and the people in this topic with a lack of convictions in this area as well. And so, I, you know, I'm going to speak. I'm going to try and give us some, some thoughts about this topic today. Uh, I probably am going to live more in the con- clear conviction category, and, and I think I'm going to need another message at some point in the future to talk about caring for people. But let me bring this to life for you because this was not an issue for many folks 20, 30 years ago. But today, you are sitting in this room today with an awareness of someone that you know, someone you know on a first name basis, someone you're related to, is identifying themselves with homosexuality. Now, I'm going to talk about gender too, and I actually think gender is becoming the new issue to talk about, and you'll see that today. But you'll notice this, when, when this becomes personal for you, when it lands in your family, when it lands in people's lives that you know, 
you all of a sudden now find yourself in a new situation concerning convictions and care. Because these are people you already care about. And you see that it's a real live issue for them. It's a real live struggle for them. They're bumping into comments that are loosely and flippantly said. And all of a sudden you've got ears for that in a way you never had before. And the temptation now for you is if this has touched your life personally, you can suddenly find yourself shifting away from convictions into the category of care. But, but can, I, can I tell you this? This is one of the most important things we're going to talk about today is if you're, if you're a Christian... Christian belongs to God. A Christian is a member of God's household. Your loyalties as a created being are to God. More than anything else in your life, more than your career, more than your views, more than your family, more than the country in which you live, your loyalties are to God. So when it comes to any subject of how you live your life and how you feel about life, your first obligation as a Christian is to first find out how does God feel about this. That's not what many in Christianity are doing in this subject. Many are finding out how they feel about it, how it affects them personally and where they find themselves, and then they're bringing that to God rather than first finding out how God feels about this. Now, this is the way all of life should be done, but this is an obvious category where it's a bit of a challenge. So I hope you're going to walk from here in such a way that convictions are clear and they're installed well in your heart. But next week, somebody could walk through that back door that you would care about deeply, who's different than you, who lives in these categories, who's on the wrong end of the convictions that we see in God's word, But yet, as a church, uh, if you're paying attention and you watch the way we walk through this topic today, there are lots of people that you and I deal with on an everyday basis who are on the wrong end of the convictions of what God has to say about a lot of things in life. This is not a unique category. The world has made it a unique category. It is not a unique category. And we need some help in seeing that, but that's probably for another message. But let me show you how this has become such a hot topic for us If you follow the Gallup poll folks who take the temperature of thinking in our land, Gallup says in what ways, they they gave out a, a poll to folks, and this was some of the results they got back recently, in what ways have your views on same-sex marriage changed? Well, 35% now say they are more accepting and tolerant now than they used to be. 18% say they have more awareness, They're, they're more educated, or they didn't understand before, so their views have been adjusted. And 9%, these were the top responses, uh, say it's not as big a deal as it was in the past. Question, do you think marriages between same-sex couples should or should not be recognized by the law as valid, with the same rights as traditional marriages? Well, in 1999, 35% thought that they should. In 2014, 55% think that they should. Question, is being gay or lesbian something a person is born with or due to upbringing and environment? In 1982, 17% thought that they were born with that condition. 52% thought it was a result of upbringing or environment. In 2014, 42% believe it's something you're born with. and 37% believe it's about upbringing. In 2002... 
38% thought gay-lesbian relations were morally acceptable. In 2014, 58% thought gay and lesbian relations were morally acceptable. So the landscape... Excuse me one second. <coughs> the, the landscape in our world has changed drastically in this one category over our lifetime. And you can't avoid this hot topic. It comes up constantly, right? I mean, just this little slide here uh, of news headlines in the last... This is just recent news headlines. Most all these are in the last week or two. So you've got ABC News covering Joe Biden's comments that gay rights take precedence over culture. Just about a week and a half ago, he made a statement that establishing gay rights is more important than your traditions, than your culture, which would be a a stepping into the world of religion and how it defines human existence. But but according to the vice president, gay rights take precedent over that. Newsweek proclaimed Barack Obama as the first gay president. Rolling Stone politics this last week made a headline about four reasons President Obama's new uh, trans rights policy is a big deal. By protecting transgender federal employees, right? So there was an executive order that was given out, I believe, in the past week to establish uh, medical rights for transgender employees and contract individuals for the federal government. I believe the past week was Gay Pride Week, so Burger King debuted a Gay Pride Whopper. So, I mean, it's everywhere. And if you get a news feed, it is being kept in front of you on a regular basis. It is a, an extremely controversial issue in churches. Denominations are getting pulled apart over this. The Anglican Church and the Episcopal Church kind of fired the first uh, salvos in this battle a few years ago. And a massive pulling apart of that denomination has been occurring ever since. There are a number of churches in America who are aligning themselves in the Anglican church with the Anglican churches in Africa because they're refusing to adjust their convictions in these categories, whereas in America it's being adjusted chronically. So you have the Presbyterians are wrestling through problems in this area. The Methodists are wrestling through issues in this category. So this this subject is changing dramatically for us as a country And as a people who are living in this culture, so I think it's helpful for us to be prepared to address it. Now, I'm going to address it today, and hopefully I will do it tastefully, but if your children are in the room, please leave them in the room. Because they're going to hear about this. Your 10, 11, and 12-year-olds are talking about this. I I just had a... daughter have a conversation with a 12-year-old who was talking with her about whether what she believed about homosexuality and being straight and sort of raising the question of, have you figured yourself out yet? Because that's what's being presented. And the gender issues you'll see today is becoming much more prevalent. The question of, do you even know what gender you are, is becoming a question that's getting asked. So, so this is everywhere. It's the topics of discussion. It's, it's in the media world. It's in what we looked at last week. The social media world is discussing it. 
it is a cultural hot button. And so if you have a writing assignment in school, more than likely it will be associated with this topic. So if your children are in here, you, you can sort through whatever I say that you thought was a little off color, because I probably will. Uh, but they're going to hear much worse than anything I'm going to have to say. And, and pretty much what I'm going to have to say is going to be biblical. It's, it may be a little frank, but it's going to be biblical. Um, at some point, you're going to get around young people who are asking the question, am I gay? You didn't have to worry about that question for the most part when you were growing up. The kids today, that's going to be a question they're going to ask about themselves. In the next five to ten years, they're going to be asking themselves more the question of, am I a boy or a girl? That's already, if you follow the news, you already know that's being asked now. But it's going to become more prevalent as time goes on. But I want you to turn real quickly to Ephesians chapter 4. Before we listen to our culture, let's make sure we look at the Bible. And if you don't do that, you know, I can sound pretty weird to you. The mere fact that I'm, one, it shouldn't be weird that I'm talking about this subject because everybody else is talking about this subject. So I shouldn't have to tiptoe and say, oh, wow, you know, keep going to talk about homosexuality. Everybody else is talking about it. Right? Why should I not be able to talk about it? But, you know, there is, there is a commentary in Scripture, and this, this verse is very helpful. We looked at it last week. There's a commentary in Scripture that informs us about living in this world. We live in a world, and we, we are called to think a certain way while we live in this world. And Bible verses like this help us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now there's going to be a description unpacked here. But notice this little phrase, no longer, stop doing, don't relate, don't continue, don't let this be what describes you. No longer walk as the Gentiles do. Right? And the Gentiles are a, a collective title for those outside of God's people in this context. So it's, these, are, these are people who don't walk with God. So no longer walk the way they do. So there is available in the world today a manner of walking out life like the Gentiles do. And this is how Paul describes it. He describes it as futility of mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Listen, this, this, is, this is accurate, helpful, insightful human condition passage. This is the Bible letting us know something that we know, but, but this helps us to see it accurately. We live in a fallen, broken world. That's what we live in. When we gaze out on it and it has these kinds of descriptions and, and ideas in it, it should not surprise us. The world is a broken place. There's a lot of broken ideas present in it. You will discover them on a daily basis. And the primary thing that's broken about man is his disconnect with God. God created him for a purpose. Man has broken off that purpose, and now he's coming up with idea while he's disconnected from God. And it's going to breed all kinds of ideas that God doesn't want. Verse 19, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You, you live in a society that is greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Right? That's the world that we live in. It's the world that we're tempted by. It's the world that reaches out to touch every one of us in our lives. Verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Right? So here's this great turn now. You have one side being said by Paul. He says, but, but, that's not you. That's not how you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. All right, and so now you have this counterculture. So you've got a culture in this passage and you've got a counterculture within that culture that Paul describes differently. He says, that's not how you learn Christ. The things that you're seeing, the hardness of heart, the callousness, the greedy appetites, that's not how you learn Christ. You learned Christ differently than that. Verse 21, 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Put off the old and be renewed and put on something new. Put off the old. Okay, we, you and I are living in a culture that is highly at odds with what God says right here in this passage. Today, to ask people to put off something that feels natural to them is to be told that you are harming them. You are asking them to do something that is harmful to them. But do you, can you at least go here with me before you get emotionally attached to anything further I'm saying? Can you at least go here? Do you see that the Bible actually stands in front of a human being and says, put off certain things in your life? Don't do those things anymore. You used to do them. You didn't know any better. It's all that was about your life before. But now you've learned Christ and you know something about him and you've become different. So stop doing some things in your life. Can you at least let the Bible tell you in some category of life, it's going to say stop doing something. Clearly, right? And to put on the new self, verse 24, this new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Man created after the likeness of God. That does not originate in Ephesians. We're going to go back and find the origins of it in just a moment. But when God fixes when God steps into our broken world and he throws the reset switch he is returning man to being the in the likeness of God so so that's the guiding principle of everything about our lives everything about our lives when God first took a, you know a hunk of dirt rolled the play-doh up in his hands and created Adam and breathed into Adam. He had a purpose for that man. To be in the likeness of God. And then this fall took place. And the brokenness came into man's existence. But God sent his son in the gospel. To restore man to the condition he was in before. In the likeness of God. So this is a guiding principle for every subject of our lives. Should you go to Lakeside the shopping mall afterwards and steal lunch. How many guys are thinking about doing that before you leave? You know, no, because that's not in the likeness of God. That that's why you don't do that because I am made 
to image God. And God's not going to, to steal from the Popeyes. You know, he's just not. But he's not doing a whole bunch of other things either that we're going to be talking about today. But let, let, me, let me introduce us to something here. In your outline, it says, understanding the fundamental elements of this discussion. Right, some of you guys, well, all of you here, if you graduated from high school, you were required to take chemistry. You guys remember chemistry? How many of you guys love chemistry? Two. Good for you. All three of you. All right. Y'all get together afterwards. Uh, <clears throat> chemistry is a required subject because there's something taught in chemistry that's a part of just about anything you're going to go on and do in life. Right? If you're going to be an engineer, if you're going to work in the medical field, if you're going to work in agriculture, uh, whatever you're going to be doing, there's going to be chemistry involved. And one of the things you learned, as a matter of fact, it's the first thing you came in contact with because when you opened up the book cover, on the, on the inside cover, there was this big giant square thing with a bunch of little squares inside of it called the periodic table. Y'all remember this thing? Yeah, some of y'all are having nightmares right now. It's like, Keith, why are you doing this to me? I failed chemistry. Uh, periodic table, or also called the, the table of elements, right? This table of elements is when you take all of the complicated life that's out there and you synthesize it down to its smallest, smallest parts, you end up with the stuff that's in the table of elements, right? So you got oxygen and hydrogen and nitrogen, right? So when you boil everything down to its basic parts, you get to the elements. You would get to what's fundamental about all of our existence, right? So here's what elementary means in the dictionary. Elementary, primary, rudimentary, refer to what is basic and fundamental. Elementary refers to the introductory, simple, easy facts or parts of a subject that must necessarily be learned first in order to understand succeeding ones. All right, did you get that? Important definition for where we're going today. It refers to the introductory, simple, easy facts or parts of a subject that must necessarily be learned first in order to understand succeeding ones. So, we jump into a discussion today on gender, on homosexuality. It is, it's complicated. It is filled with emotion. There are politics involved. There are personal feelings involved. We all feel a certain way about that subject based on our own experience, on other people's experiences, on watching Fox News and whatever else is educating you about the issues of life. It's all in us. But there are certain fundamentals to discuss, this discussion, right? And I just want to go after three fundamentals that I hope you'll walk away from here and never let these three fundamentals disappear when you think about this subject, ever. All right, fundamental number one. Who is writing the story of mankind? Mankind is a created being. Who is writing his story? Fundamental number two. What is Gender. What is gender? There's a big gender discussion going. Go, well, what is gender? Fundamental number three, what is sex? Right, so we're just going to go after those three fundamentals to help us be able even to talk about this subject. Fundamental number one, who is writing the story of mankind? Whose story are you living in? Right, is, this, is this your story? Is it the American story? Is it a modern story? Right? There's a storyline to life. And most of us understand story stuff. It's how we live. There's a storyline going on in our lives. Whose story is it? Who's the author? Who has the rights over the story? 
right? Denny Burke contributed a chapter in the book Good, The Joy of Christian Manhood and Womanhood, and he states, LGBT leaders, it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender leaders, are self-consciously pursuing a redefinition of gender as the next phase of the larger gay rights movement. All right, well, that, that poses a fundamental question. Does anybody have the right to pursue redefining gender? Who owns the rights over gender? I mean, if you owned a McDonald's, you know, you just can't decide pizza and tacos is what's going to be on the menu because you're a franchise, right? McDonald's owns the rights over what's taking place in there. Well, somebody owns the right over gender. Does humanity just have the right to say, we're going to redefine gender? Um, That's a challenge. Interesting spokesperson for the LGBT movement, E.J. Graff in Newsweek magazine, said this. There's a larger cultural question that deeply deserves our country's attention. It has to do with gender. The way our culture, our politics, and our legal system treat femininity, masculinity, and everything in between. Can you help me with that for a second? Because that doesn't sound weird to you, does it? It should sound very puzzling. What's in between masculinity and femininity? But in our culture, that's, this, is, this is the way you speak about gender. We are still far more than we understand herded unnecessarily by our sex, by the stereotypes associated with how a woman or a, a man should act. It need not be this way. <clears throat> What I'm describing won't be easy, but it's crucially important. And I have no doubt that as with the battle for same-sex marriage, right, the battle's moving on, by the way, breaking the nation out of its gender straitjacket is a fight we can win. This is the thinking that is most in the news today. And these are the ideas that are forming the thinking that is most in the news today. So... Watch the news transfer from same-sex marriage because that's about to become legal all over. And, it's, you know, so it's, it's time for that to move on now. It's going to move on to gender. Uh, transgender issues, and this is what's so amazing that so much time is spent in the news on, on this. Transgender issues touch 0.3% of the population of our country. Not even 1%. 0.3% of people have transgender issues but yet it will be in the news a lot. And how it's being presented is, you can hear it in the, the language here, that gender is this narrow, restraining, straitjacket thing that's sitting on you. Once you label yourself <clears throat> male or female, you, you have just so restrained your potential. You could, you could be so much more, but see, that's just put you in a category and restrained you. But if if you're a Christian, you didn't put yourself in that category. God put you in that category. God made you male or female because he wanted your maleness to tell a story. And he wanted your femaleness to tell a story. So it's not a straitjacket. It's a place of calling. It's a place for you to fulfill what God has given for you to be. It's, it's not keeping you from something. It is a pathway to 
something. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. All right, so fundamental number one tells us that our story, this is, this is important, not just in this subject, this is important to interpret life. Our story is in a subheading category to God's story. We are not the main characters. And our story is not the dominant storyline. We are a subplot. Is that how you think about yourself? Right, when, you, when you go to the movies, you get this. I know you get this. Right, you're watching Batman. It's a movie about Batman, right? Hence the title. It's not about Commissioner Gordon. It's about Batman. Should Commissioner Gordon get hacked off at some point? Because he's a sub-character. Matter of fact, he might even be an expendable sub-character. Some of them are. Right? I, mean, I used to be a Star Trek fan when I was a kid. And you always knew, you got to where you could figure out, figure out Star Trek pretty quick. There, in the first five minutes, there was always somebody that you'd never seen before. A new character. And you just knew he's dead by the time the episode's over. You just knew. It's like he's expendable. He's part of the storyline, but he's not the storyline, right? So you and I have a problem with that. Right? We want to be the storyline. I, and, and I want to control the plot. I, I don't want to be a sub-character in someone else's story. Right? I, I don't want to be Lois Lane in Superman's story. But nonetheless, you and I are sub-characters. We are not the main character. And do you know how hard that is for us? I can put this, I can put this reality in any subject this morning and talk about it anywhere. The number one problem we got with God is that he's, he's not on board with the storyline we're writing that features us. I'm, you know, the universe is about me. It exists for me. It's amazing how history has just delivered the universe to this moment for me. Isn't that amazing? And I just need to get everything I can get out of life. My story plot line needs to be the richest, most amazing, most dazzling, blowing people minds storyline that's ever been written. And if anyone gets in the way, an injustice has been done. If you don't treat me a certain way, if you don't further my story, if my mom didn't further my story, if my relatives didn't further my story, if the government doesn't further my story, and if God doesn't further my story, I feel, I feel ripped off. Okay, wouldn't it be helpful for us to know that we're not the main characters? Get out of the main character business. Let God be the main character because he is. God has created this world and he has a purpose for it, and he has written the storyline of it, right? Genesis chapter 1. Right? If, you, if you turn there real quick, because I just want you to pick up on the way in which it postures itself. From the beginning, this, this is how Genesis begins the story of all things that are. Verse 1, the very first of anything being said, about this plot line and storyline for humanity. In the beginning, man. I'm, I'm sorry, I misread that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you read the rest of the chapter there, it's, it's all about what God did, right? Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. 
And God saw that light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness night, right? He didn't consult anyone. This was his idea. He was fashioning something. He was telling a storyline. He wanted the storyline to have day and night in it. He wanted it to have light. He wanted it to have darkness. He wanted there to be waters and he wanted there to be land. So he created those things and he wanted another subplot in his storyline called man. So he created man. But he gave man a story. From the beginning, man has always had a story. The author gave man a story. Genesis 1 verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is where Ephesians was picking up on. From the beginning, man was assigned to have the unique privilege of being in the image of God. Verse 27. So... God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Where do we get the idea of gender from? Right here. In the beginning, from God. Uniquely assigned, because if you just read what's there... In order for the image of God to be what God wants it to be in the earth, it needs a male aspect and it needs a female aspect. Let us make man in our image, male and female. Where does gender come from? Well, gender is not a human invention. It's not a biological mistake. Gender is God's invention. God has a sign that every human being will either be male or they will be female. And they will be an expression of his image through who he has made them to be. In our day, with all the blurring, with all the hostility, with all the straitjacket language about gender, listen, this is nothing new under the sun. This is just another chapter in which man lifts his fist to God and says, I refuse to do what you want me to do with my life. I refuse to do it. When one looks at their gender and rejects their gender, you are rejecting the God-assigned element in your life. He has chosen for you to be either male or female. To say, I'd like to just have the verdict be out for a little while. I'm not sure who I am yet. No, no, no. You are sure who you are. You're just not sure you want to be who God's made you to be. This is where gender comes from. It's God's plan for every one of us to be portray his image in the earth. Now listen, this is why you, you, as if you're a Christian and your loyalty is to the God of the universe, you have to have convictions in this category. Because anybody who decides gender doesn't matter is saying the image of God doesn't matter. And if the image of God doesn't matter, well then you don't love the God of the universe and you are a rebel against him. And you can't explain to me why you're even here. Now, if I'm here about my storyline, cool. I got a story. But if I'm here about his story, 
Well, then his story is about his image being seen. And so me being a man is part of that. So I'm called to be a man. And that's what I'm going to walk out for the glory of God. Because that's where gender comes from. Fundamental number one also tells us that in this story, there was a fall where lots of things were broken. Which ones do we legitimize? Right there, God created, sin came in, and there was a fall, a, a massive crash that broke things. Which ones of the broken things do we stamp legitimate and say, these should be approved, these should continue, these are okay? Which ones? Lots of things are broken, right? Love is broken in this world. You don't have to live with people for very long to recognize that. You don't have to live with anybody. You can recognize it in yourself. Love is quite broken, right? Um, I bump into that in me every day of my life. I bump into the fact that love in me is broken. There's an aspect in my experience that's selfish, that looks out for my interest, that's values a certain proximity and treatment of me, values my time, my money, my energies a certain way because I have this thing about me that I'm seeking to manage and maintain. And when that kind of gets off the leash, it, it, it introduces our society to all kinds of problems. When someone decides that their selfishness is going to become violent and I'm going to beat somebody up over the fact that I don't like the way you've treated me. You, you've, you've done something to my storyline that I am really agitated about and I'm coming after you. All right, when you do that several times, our society has not said, hey, that's legit. Hey, hey, that's legit. No, our, our society steps in and says, hey, dude, you're going to need to go to an anger management class. But it comes in and says, you, you, you can't behave that way. It says it's illegit. But any of you guys in the room here who've really pummeled somebody and you, you're absolutely sure they deserved it, you feel like that, that was legit, right? Um, you know, the big football controversy where some, one of the football players in the NFL made a comment about a gay football player and his team required him to go to sensitivity training. He, he felt like he wanted to say something. He said it, and it wasn't legit. The people in his team, his organization said, hey, man, you can't talk about people that way. So they sent him the sensitivity training. See, there's things in our society we, we refuse to call legit. Right? When parents become selfish to the point that they begin to neglect their own children, they don't feed them, they don't care for them, they leave them in the home by themselves. Our government comes in and takes the children away. Because it says that's not legit. You, you can't treat people that way. We're not going to legitimize the broken sense of love that's lacking in your life. You do love in a way that's not acceptable, right? So the government says, well, we're going to need to step in. Love is broken. Sex is broken. In the fall, sex is broken. Adultery is an expression of broken down sex. Child pornography is an expression of broken down sex. 
Date rape is an expression of broken down sex. Sexual manipulation is an expression of broken down sex. Sex is broken in this world in a variety of ways. Contentment is broken in this world. People are not content with what they have. People become so discontent with what they have that they don't mind stealing something that you got. They're perfectly at peace. People are perfectly at peace and happy with what they got. They don't steal what you got. But there's such an urgency inside of them. There's such a desire inside of them. I've got to do this that I'm willing to take risks. I'm willing to maybe get caught and go to jail because the urge in me is so great, I've got to act upon it. Because contentment is broken. Ambition and aggression are broken in this world. And did you guys know that, I just heard this stat the other day, 90% of violent, aggressive crimes are committed by men. Does that surprise anybody here? Kind of a high number. I mean, in an age of equality, come on, ladies, you got some catching up to do. But why, why is that? And this is interesting. Why is that? Well, I guess we could say biologically, it's got something to do with all that testosterone floating around in men. Well, added increased aggressiveness comes from hormonal issues that are in a man. But yet we still put people in jail when they act on their testosterone. Why don't they just stand in front of the judge and say, judge, it's a testosterone moment. You get it. You're a guy, right? Yeah, you're right. Uh, That's legit. Go ahead. Go your way. We put the guy in jail. He acted on what felt natural for him to act on. And society stepped in and said, that's not acceptable. You can't do that. And so we've got an interesting issue here in, in handling misplaced desires. Right? I think I wrote this in your outline. All desires have been affected by the fall. And will make every person feel like they want to do something that they're not called to do. And yet God applies restraint and boundaries to these behaviors. He doesn't legitimize them. Outside of the conversation about homosexual desires is an obvious parallel and a more common parallel that men are attracted to women. Some men in the room here are less attracted than others. Some are more attracted than others. Regardless of where you fall on the scale, adultery is illegitimate for every one of you. It never steps in and says, hey, you seem to have more attraction to the opposite sex than somebody else does. So your wife's just going to need to understand you're going to be spending part time with other women. That's just legit. It's not legit, is it? There are all kinds of issues in people's lives that we won't call legitimate of them acting on urges. You, you, all right, you, know, you may have lied to the government about your income tax this year. Why'd you do that? Well, because I had a strong desire to protect my world and not have funds go out of it. I'm trying to make sure that my family and we're protected and we're provided for. So, so I lied. Well, well does, does that mean lying is legitimate? Stand in front of the judge when the IRS catches you and lie to him too. Is that legitimate? No, so we don't legitimize everything, but it is a true desire in you. And it might even be a noble desire in you. 
That you're trying to provide, you're trying to do something that you value that's good for your family, but society still says it's not legitimate for you to lie to the government. That's true in this category as well. The Bible explains why someone might have same-sex attraction. It falls into the category of broken desires. I'm, I'm I'm not getting rid of the reality that for some there are strong desires that are unexplainable for them of attraction to the same sex. But before you just decide to treat that like it's this unique thing that the Bible knows nothing about, you're standing right next to, you may be seated today next to somebody who has equally or stronger desires for the opposite sex. And the Bible turns around and says, what are you going to do with that desire? Because you best not be acting on it. God's not out of touch. God's not saying, well, I have no idea what, what sex drive is like for a man. I think he made the male and female. He knows exactly what sex drive is like. And then he turns around and regulates it and says, hey, you've got very limited permission on how to use that. You can't use it any way you want. And God expects that we would live within the boundaries that he's created. So you have God creating a storyline that he is telling through every one of us as male and female. Fall occurs, a new set of desires, a corrupted, broken set of desires is in each and every one of us. And yet the gospel story is God sending his son to restore us to himself, to redeem that which was broken, to bring back to him, to press the reset button. That's why Paul can now call people to live a certain way because the gospel has brought a new life to us. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So how do we, how do we approach this subject? Well, we first recognize that it's part of a storyline that's about God. And that storyline uniquely is expressed through men and women doing what God ordained for them to do in this category so that God's image can be seen. All right, fundamental number two. What is gender? We have gender confusion. We have confusion of same-sex attraction. What, what is gender? Gender is distinguishable. Gender involves identifiable differences that are there by design. That's what gender is. Now, within gender, there, are, there is a variety of expressions of that gender. Right? And this is, where, this is where I think this gets mishandled. There's black and white, male and female. Genesis 1. Within maleness, there is a variety of expressions of maleness. I mean, some of you guys started growing beards when you were like in fourth grade. You remember those kids used to freak out? You know, you're... You're playing ball or something, you're playing basketball, the guy picks his arms up, he's got hair under his arms, you're like, whoa. <laughs> Lots of it, you know? And it's like, that guy could grow a mustache. Uh, okay, you can't. What does that say about you? Well, you know, verdict's out. You, you might be a girl after all. No. <laughs> you just, you're just not a hairy guy, you know? You're a non-hairy guy. Right, so you know, got some guys who run fast, pick up stuff, much stronger, more athletic. 
You got guys who have different interests in different categories. Does, does that mean depending on what, where your interest lies, you, you might not be the sex that your physiology is telling you that you are? Wow, that's, that's pretty confusing. Well, how about, how about your voice is just higher than another guy's, but you're a guy? How about, how about you're, you're a girl who, who likes to, to run and throw and play athletics? How about, how about that? Does that mean you're gender confused? I don't think it's got to mean that at all. There is huge, huge confusion in this gender category. It's touching all kinds of issues, right? You have the LGBT identity and lifestyle that's being framed and offered in our culture. You have distinguishing elements of roles that are being blurred and almost they're a source of offense. Different role for husbands than wives. Our culture recoils at that. Different roles and responsibilities for fathers and mothers. Giant arguments over the role of women in the military, right? Gender is a major issue in our culture. You come into the church, women do some things, but not other things. Men do some things and not other things. Is that a Neanderthal idea? Is that as a, that's a throwback from a different era? Why does the church, why does the family, why do any of these institutions make a distinguishing mark between a man and a woman? Why do they do that? Because in Genesis chapter one, the image of God was bound up in man being male and female. God made distinguishing marks. God made certain things available only to a man and certain things available only to a woman. And he desired for them to come together and display his image. The culture, listen, there's a reason why the culture doesn't like gender. Because this is a world that is fallen. It does not want God to rule over it. And playing the gender role that you're called to play and accepting others to play a gender role that they're called to play that you're not to is a form of letting God rule over you. So let's not make this more complicated than it is. I hope this is basic fundamentals. Emotion, culture, time, traditions, etc., etc., etc. Okay, blurry, blurry, blurry. Did God create you to be a man? Did God create you to be a woman? And did he intentionally install distinctives in who you're supposed to be? Kevin DeYoung wrote an article called Play the Man. He says, in most American cities, especially cool cities like Seattle or Austin or New York, the ideas of male headship and female submission or even gender distinctions in general are strange, if not outright offensive. It's safe to say the default position in America is not the biblical view of men and women. So wise, faithful pastors, and I think Christians, should not be closet complementarianism. Complementarianism believes that God made male and female distinct to complement their distinctions and present God's glory through their differences. People who believe and do the right things when push comes to shove, but candid complementarianism. If we don't address these issues head on, the world will press thousands of Christians into its mold. Okay, one of the reasons why this hot topic needs to be discussed in this setting is not because I'm trying to be unkind to anyone. 
It's because you're getting educated 24 hours a day, seven days a week on this subject. And your children are going to start asking you unusual questions about their gender and about same-sex attraction because they're going to be approached by people in their schools and people that they're around who believe same-sex attraction is as normal as opposite-sex attraction, and they're just kind of wondering where you're at in that. What kind of shoes do you wear? It's becoming more and more common of a conversation. And you and I are called to see these things clearly and have convictions in these categories. A little help in the gender category. Thoughts on gender exist in three areas of our existence, biological, psychological, and sociological. All right, so when it comes to the gender discussion, we're talking biology. Right? By biology, I mean how my anatomy defines who I am. We're talking psychology, how I think or feel about who I am. And we're talking sociology, what society says about who I am. All right, so I think you can see those three factors playing out. For every person, those three factors are playing out. Now, my question to us What's the pecking order for those three questions? Which of those questions need to get answered first and which ones need to be questioned and held with a little bit of, well, I'm not quite sure. All right, so you go to the doctor, you're expecting, get to that 18-week point and they do the ultrasound. Doctor puts the ultrasound device on, listens, 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 watches, watches, and then says something to you because you want to find out the sex of the child. Now, the doctor doesn't turn around and say, well, we'll see. I mean, I know what it looks like, but who knows, really? Doctor says biology. Doctor doesn't play psychologist. Doctor doesn't play sociologist. Doctor just says biology. It's a boy. Clearly, no question, clearly, it's a boy. And then that child is born, gets to be a few years old, and has their own personality, their own psychology of how they feel about themselves. And they raise a question. It's becoming more common today, but it's becoming more common today because the sociology around them is helping them ask this question. So psychologically, they begin to ask the question, am I a boy or a girl? Well, why would they be asking that? Well, because some of their personal behavior doesn't look like they're going to be growing a mustache by fourth grade. It's a little different. So they're starting to ask some questions. Now, the sociology has become very, very loud in our day. So sociology is saying you should be asking that question. That's the right question to ask because you're going to need to figure that out. And so psychology and sociology have now silenced biology. Biology is the one non-moving part. You guys who have lived a few years, how many of you have figured out you feel differently about yourself through life? Your psychology changes. It comes and goes and comes and goes. And sociology, well, I just started off telling you 20 years ago, Sociologically, people didn't think the way they think today. So sociology changes and comes and goes and comes and goes. So you get two elements of this discussion that are moving targets. They could be here today and somewhere else a year from now for you. 
Sociology could be here today and somewhere else 20 years from now. The one thing that's not moving is biology. The biology of who you are is declaring who you are. And it's what God ordained for you to be. You are either male or female. It is the clearest thing that God has appointed for you. Jonathan Parnell writes a chapter in the book Good. He says, manhood is not one option among others for whoever is interested It is a reality that corresponds to God's creation. It is mainly the result of who we are, which gives rise to what we do. Therefore, we should be clear that manhood itself is never creative. You don't don't volunteer for manhood. We are not making ourselves to be anything. Rather, we are responding to what God has designed. That doctor with his ultrasound device was simply discovering God's assignment for you. You were assigned to be a man or you were assigned to be a woman. That is what is most fundamentally clear in this whole gender discussion. Amongst all the confusion, that is clear. Now, fundamental number three, last one. What is sex? We have same-sex marriages, same-sex attractions. We have a, a whole discussion taking place on the realm of sex. Well, what is sex? Here's my definition for you. Sex is the one flesh relationship that is made possible by God's physiological design of a male body and a female body with its distinctions. That is to find its expression only between a husband and a wife in a covenant marriage for life. That's what sex is. Anything outside of that is an abuse of sex. In God's plan, as crazy as it sounds, you could come into this world, have no sex, get married to one person and have sex with one person for the rest of your life or until that person dies and never experience sex outside of that context ever, ever, ever. And you would be living in the plan that God created. Now, you might feel like you're from another planet when you're here. But that is what God created. That's what God calls sex. So let me just bring some clarity with simplicity here. Pardon my, as close to graphicness as I can come here. Let's just be clear. I mean, biology is clear. Number one, sex involves matching body parts that lead to reproduction. That is most clear. Before sex is anything else, it is that. Now, God in his mercy placed in the context of marriage, pleasure in the category of sex, and unique marital oneness. The two shall become one. And they consummate that oneness, which is an emotional, spiritual union between two people that God has ordained that two would become one by God designing them physiologically to be able to express that oneness to one another. That's what sex is. 
if your body parts don't match. They're not meant to be used that way. Is this shocking? No, nobody portrays the strangeness of this in the media. This is the part of the discussion that is just not talked about. What's talked about is loving unions and, and care and connection. Okay, this, this is the, I'm sorry, this is the, this is the part that's extremely awkward. The body parts don't match. Your biology is telling you, you are doing something you shouldn't be doing. You are misusing sex. God created sex. He designed sex. He designed your body to have an ability to express sexual union with one other person. But their body parts have got to match your body parts for it to happen. And if they don't, you're out of bounds. You are misusing the body God gave you. Second, God has placed sex in one location in the context of a covenant marriage between one man and one woman for life. Therefore, sex in any other context is considered sexual immorality. That's how the Bible, that's a broad term in scripture. When you come across it, it is, it is the misuse of sex. When you find it in the scripture, you may find the language in the category of fornication. Sometimes it will get translated fornication. Sometimes it's translated adultery. But in the broad umbrella, it is sexual misuse. It is immorality. It is you are misusing what God gave you in the category of sex that was designed to be in one place and one place only. Which means, well, then what do you do with desires to express sex outside of that one location? But you are called by God to exercise self-control. And self-control is not an equal effort for everybody in this room. There's some people who would say, you know, I didn't, just, I didn't I've just never experienced a great deal of sexual attraction outside of my marriage. It's not been something I've wrestled with. You know, pornography's not been a big deal for me. And then you could sit next to somebody else who says, huge, every day. Battle it every day. Okay, the Bible never turns to either one of those guys and says, well, listen, uh, you do the self-control thing, but you, good luck. you're not going to do well. Matter of fact, self-control for you, but you know, let's, let's put you on like a control program. Like, uh, I don't know, every, every once in a while, can you just limit the number of times? Right? The Bible never turns around and legitimizes your broken desire. Somehow we, we take sex and we remove it from the setting that God created. And in this world, we define it and put it in an address called homosexual sex, which has no guidance. It's just strictly out of bounds. And, and it's got no parameters. You just can express that however you express that. It's, it's just, it's kind of left up to, well, what happened to the same Bible that tells the opposite sex attraction guy to have self-control, telling the same sex attraction person to have self-control? Why do we treat that any differently? 
Why is our culture legitimizing the idea that if you have same-sex attraction, well, that is so much stronger, so much more legitimate, so much more needing to be acted upon. The same Bible treats it the same way. Listen, you know, in this room here, there are people with some strong desires for food in this category. And the Bible speaks of it as gluttony. And it calls on you to control those desires. There are some people in this room who have addictive personalities. Right? I, I can tell you right now, and I won't, I won't make everybody stand up because it would be really, really awkward to do this. But uh, maybe in your small groups when you all do this in the fall, this would be fun. Have people stand up who've never had any addictive problems. Because there are some people who don't get you. They've never had any kind of addiction issues. It's like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I was never, I never really drank. I never really did drugs. I never really, and there's somebody on the other side of the room who doesn't get you. Because for them, it was a dominant feature in their life. It controlled them. It turned their world upside down. They're still recovering from it. It's giant in their world. Broken desires are everywhere. And God speaks to them and says, don't do that. Put off those old patterns and walk in newness of life in the image of God. That's true whether we're talking about drug use, whether we're talking about stealing from one another, whatever it is that we're talking about. Right? And then in fact, if you go back and you read the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, right? I'm doing all time here. That's where all this goes. You're living in the image of God. Verse 25 begins to just talk about every area of life. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, right? So don't lie. But what if, you, what if you're a compulsive liar? Well, you know who you are. I mean, some of you lie for the sport of it. I think you just like to see, wow, that was, that was really weird. Let's see if they buy it. Let's see if they go with that one. Yeah, yeah, I own the first Corvette. Yeah, ever. Uh-huh, I did. You just like to lie. Well, okay, be angry. And do not sin. Oh, that might be easy for you to say. You're not, you're not Latin. <laughs> You've got any hot blood in you, man. You've got that European dead person stuff inside of you. Let the thief no longer steal. This is, this is a whole section about don't do this anymore. Don't do this anymore. Don't do this anymore. Don't do that anymore. Right? And it gets into chapter 5. And it keeps going. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk or crude joking. Right? Do you understand the Bible doesn't have a boundary that say all of this is applicable except for same-sex attraction? Right? People who have experienced same-sex attraction would say, Dude, same-sex attraction is legit. It's real. It affects people. Now, I'm not arguing that that's not the case. As a matter of fact, I, I think it is the case. But, but I would say don't put it in a unique category. It sits among broken desires just with everybody else's desires too. And God says something about how to handle those desires. So homosexuality, homosexual sex, it fails to tell God's story. It rejects God's assignment of gender. 
and it engages in sexual immorality. And this is where it gets challenging, right? So, how do you feel, Christian, about same-sex marriage? How do you feel about homosexuality? All right, I'm going to have to do a whole other message on this, but let me just install the, both words here. You are called to have convictions in this category. You are called to have God's convictions in this category. And, and I think it's a very simple thing to come to. If you stay with these three fundamentals that God has made clear, whose story is being told through mankind? What is gender? And what is sex? If you just get those three right, those elemental principles, get them right, and you can have the right discussion on homosexuality or on any kind of sexuality. Have convictions and then be prepared to care for people who are in a different place than you are, who are walking this out in a different way than you did, who are experiencing desires that may be foreign to you. Right? In this room, so this is where the church has gotten weird and why it needs probably a whole other message on care. In this room are people who are recovering from gluttony and recovering from alcohol and drug abuse and have committed adultery and uh, been with multiple sex partners in their life. And they're sitting in the pew with you. And they'll be in your small groups with you. But the world has told us there's this other category. It's got to exist and be treated completely differently. It's a person who struggles with same-sex issues in their life. It's, it's almost always in a list with covetousness and liars and drunks. When you find it in Scripture, it doesn't get its own categories. There's no chapter devoted to it anywhere. It's just treated as a broken desire in this world. So if there's somebody here this morning who has a broken desire in that category of your life... You, you should not feel like, listen, I mean, well, Keith, how can I not feel singled out? You made the whole message about that. Uh, well, I, you know, I preach 52 times a year, at least somebody does up here. And everybody else's issues are every other week. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure I offend everybody. I'm an equal opportunity offender at some point. You, know, you got some broken desire and I'm busting you over it and you don't like it. Um, and I am too. I mean, I, honestly... But if you're in that category, or if you know somebody is, I hope this is, this is helpful. Because at some point, you're asking, someone's asking you, you know, am, am I gay? How do you answer that question? Because careful how you answer it. It, it, it sounds like it wants to be a defining question. Is that who I am? Uh, are you a person being tempted with broken desires? Yes, you are. And you are, 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 and everybody in this room is. Um, but am I gay? Huh. I'm not, I'm not going to put a label on you like that. Are you an adulterer? Well, I committed adultery. Am I an adulterer? Boy, when you, are you asking me if you're just going to keep acting on that for the rest of your life and your wife just needs to learn to deal with it? Because if you come in for counseling, we're going to tell you stop and don't ever do that again. What if I have same-sex attraction? Well, we're going to tell you that too. Stop and don't ever do that again. And the good news is God has made a way for that to be even possible for us. 
This is what the gospel does. It restores us to God that he might in us give us new desires. Aim our life at a new purpose and a great high calling. If your culture has told you, hate the fact that you're a man or hate the fact that you're a woman or act like a man and you're a woman and act like a woman, but you're a man, you are missing out on one of the high callings of your existence. You get to portray the image of the glorious God through being a man. Be fully a man. Ladies, you get to be the image bearer of God by being a woman. Be fully a woman. Don't apologize for it for a second. Don't feel like you, you, you're in the wrong body or you got a bad deal. God assigned you a role. Let that role bring glory to God. It has great, great value. Let's stand up together. Father, I'm aware, even as we have taken time today to look at what, what I believe are biblical facts, for most of us, Lord, facts will be sufficient. We will be convinced, but Lord, there would be some perhaps here that in this category, facts may have a hard time overcoming feelings. That won't be true for everyone, but Lord, it may be true for some here this morning. And Lord, for them, we would just want them to be aware that they are in a room full of men and women who have wrestled through their own struggle with feelings. We may have different categories in which we struggle. But Lord, we wrestle with how we feel about ourselves and what you say about us in a variety of ways. And God, I pray for grace this morning. God, I pray that you would pour out your kindness into strong feelings and confusing ideas, maybe even patterns of life that have been present. And you would help us to see that we live in a broken world, in a broken place. Our desires often are misplaced. But Lord, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for entering into our broken world. Thank you for coming and taking upon yourself all of our brokenness, all of our sin, our confusion, our waywardness not only taking it upon yourself, but removing it out of the way so that we could be restored to the living God and walk in this great high calling, the call to be a man for the glory of God or a woman for the glory of God. Lord, for some who are, who are eager to take steps in that direction, who are eager to walk away from struggles in the past, Lord, let today be a confirming moment of grace to see clearly what you've called them to be and to by faith embrace that call. And Lord, if necessary, perhaps they they will need to seek out some care.
and some counsel. And Lord, I, I pray they feel welcomed. I, I pray they don't feel as though a pastor in the church would treat them different than anyone who struggles with misplaced and broken desires. Lord, we all do. So Lord, would you open healing into our midst? Would you hope freedom to be established in lives? Would you bring us into the life that you've had, this great high call that we have to bring glory to your name? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I need to do another message on this, but we'll do that some other time. But bless you guys. Thank you guys for your care.